0: Father's Day. This message is going to be about fathers, and I want to let our men know that as you make your way out today, there's a gift out there in the lobby for you, and if you're not directed by one of the uh, ushers or people out there, make sure you grab one. Uh, because of COVID-19, we're just encouraging you to pick that up on your own. At this time, I'm going to ask Rory, Rory Madeira. He's going to come. He's going to read our scripture today, and as he comes, turn over to Philippians chapter 2. Philippians chapter 2 verses 19 through 24 as we talk about Timothy and Epaphrodites come on over here to the mic and we're so glad Rory could lead us in our scripture reading. I hope in the Lord Jesus to send Timothy to you soon that I also may be cheered when I receive news about you. I have no one else like him who will show genuine concern for your welfare, for everyone looks out to their own interests, not of those of Jesus Christ. But you know that Tim- Timothy himself has proved himself because as a son with his father-, father, he has served with me in the work of the gospel. I hope, therefore, to send him to you soon, as I see how things will go with me. I am confident in the Lord that I myself will come soon. Thank you, Rory. And may God give his blessing at the reading of his Word this morning. Well, during the War of 1812, General Andrew Jackson, who would later become President of the United States, led several thousand volunteer militia from Tennessee, from Nashville, to be exact. And as they went down to the famous Battle of New Orleans, they prevailed, but they took in a lot of losses, but they also had a big problem. The biggest problem wasn't so much the wounds of the war and those that were killed, but an illness that fell upon the men. There were over 150 men that got sick after the war, after that battle was over, and at least 56 of them could not even stand up on their own. The medical doctor there treating the people asked General Andrew Jackson what he wanted to do, and Jackson answered, to do sir, you are to leave not a man on the ground. It wasn't the official code of conduct yet, but Jackson was embodying the military motto we have today, leave no man behind. So. Andrew Jackson did something very humbling. He ordered his officers off their horses and allowed the men who were sick to ride on the horses. And Andrew Jackson walked 531 miles by foot and set the example along with his officers as they headed back to Nashville. And on that trip, he learned that term, Old Hickory, which he used for his campaign slogan during his presidential run for office. But you see a quote up on the screen. The one thing Jackson said was, I was born for the storm and the calm does not suit me. You know, it's easy to captain a boat when everything is smooth sailing and the waves are calm. But when the torrential rains come and the perfect storm comes and it wants to capsize your marriage or destroy your dreams, those are the times that you have to really stand and be in the storm as men And so we've got to be true men. We've got to be strong men. We've got to be able to stand up and to be counted and to be men of courage. And that's what a true man is, one who is born to stand in the storm. So in our current culture and climate, we need men, godly men, to step up to their calling, to be strong Christian leaders in their home, in the church, and to take on the responsibilities based on what God's word says. So if you have your outline, and by the way, maybe we didn't, Communicate well, but there are outlines out there in the lobby for you as you come in starting this week. And if you want one, you can pick one up there. But if you have your outline or you're following along on the app, you'll see these things. God is looking, first of all, for men of compassion. Men of compassion. Men who put relationships before results or people before prophets. Paul gives us a great example from Philippians 2. First of all, based on his relationship. With his spiritual son, Timothy, and then later we'll talk about Epaphrodites. In the verses that Roy just read in Philippians 2 verse 19, "I hope in the Lord Jesus to send Timothy to you soon so that I too may be cheered by news of you, for I have no one like him who will be genuinely concerned for your welfare." Timothy is a man who puts relationships before results. This may not come very natural for most men. I don't think it does. We're more task-oriented, goal-driven. We have ambitions. And uh, it's really the women who have that emotional uh, relationship who can sit down over a cup of coffee and share some of the deepest hurts or blessings that's in their heart. But for us men, we've got to be doing things together. We talk when we are working on an engine or we go golfing. But we need to have these compassionate Attitudes and relationship, and we need to work at that. In 1 Corinthians chapter 13, the famous love chapter, we know at the end of that chapter it says faith, hope, and love. But the greatest of these is love. And so that should be a characteristic for us as men to show love and compassion toward others. The question is do we use people and love things, or do we love people and use things? That's something that we need to continually be balancing out in our lives. Results and profits in our business is great and necessary, but hopefully not to the exclusion of caring about the people who help you attain these things, who work with you to um, make and receive the blessings from fulfilling what your leaders want you to do at your workplace or wherever you go. I think the best leaders are those leaders that I've worked for who worked from the ground up, you know, who started at the bottom rung of the ladder and then worked their way up to the management or upper levels of a company. And uh, as I saw that and you see that because they understand along the way as they do each job and get into management, they have more compassion and understanding because they have done those things. I think about myself working at a restaurant at 16 years old crawling under the sink with a toothbrush because my manager thought we need to clean the baseboards and then, you know, working my way up into management, it helped me to understand and have compassion for those that ended up working under me. And that's what it is, to have compassion. It's being able to put yourself in someone else's skin. Compassion is being, coming to the place where you're never at peace and joy for yourself until someone else has that same peace and joy for them. That is showing Compassion. In verse 21 of Philippians 2, it says, for they all seek their own interests, not those of Jesus Christ. The Phillips translation says it this way, they're all wrapped up in their own affairs. The average father, if we're honest, in America spends less than two minutes in in in-depth conversation with their children or their spouse in any given day. How do you develop relationships in that time span? You can't. Some fathers say, I'd love to play ball, but I don't have time. I'd love to help, but I don't have time. I'd love to do this, but I don't have time. I've got to make a sale. I've got to close a deal. I've got to run a race, or you fill in the blank. God is looking for men and women, for that matter, with compassion, who put relationship before results. And we've got to balance these things. The interesting thing is that when you see a leader who puts people first, oftentimes their business is the most profitable because they have things in proper alignment. The application here is are we too macho and proud as men to humble ourselves and show compassion to our family and others? I can tell you that the times that I've had to admit that I was wrong to my kids when they were smaller and confess that and ask them to forgive me, that built a lot more respect in my relationship with them when I was honest and transparent. Man, we sometimes we just got to set aside our pride and show compassion and humility in our lives. So are we willing as men to set aside some of our own interests to impact our family and those around us? I'm thankful for some of the men of our church. I think of uh, Josh Barnes who helps coach his son's baseball team and was with them in Boy Scouts as well. And some of the other men of our church and Mike Myers and many of you out here that I don't even know about. You've been involved in the things your kids have been involved with. And that's amazing. And that's impactful. And that's a memory maker that they hold on to. And so keep that in mind. That sometimes we have to set aside our interests for what's best for our family. Second of all, God's looking for men who are consistent. Who are consistent. Men who put character before conformity to this world. They're not afraid, men are, to be different from the culture. They're not afraid to stand alone for what's right. Consistency is putting character before conformity. It's saying, I don't care what everybody else thinks. I don't care what everybody else is doing. I'm gonna do the right thing. Consistency, dependability, being trustworthy, being the go-to person when someone needs a job done or to give advice or counsel. The world is hungry for these kinds of people. Bosses and wives, kids, churches, single women who want to get married, they're looking for these type of men. And as I said, the world is hungry for this kind of leadership, but isn't it interesting at the same time when they're hungry for that kind of leadership, when a leader rises up to be that, the media tears them down. The media tries to destroy them. It says in Isaiah chapter 5 and verse 20, woe to those who call evil good and good evil, who put darkness for light and light for darkness. Who put bitter for sweet and sweet for bitter? God is looking for people who will stand for Him. There was an NFL football player a number of years ago who played in the Super Bowl. And after the Super Bowl was over, he was offered a contract to have an interview in a pornographic magazine. And he said, I'm a Christian. That's not right. I'm just not going to do it. And how many other men in the NFL would have jumped at that opportunity to have that kind of? Publicity. And so we need people to have character before conformity. Look at verses twenty-one and twenty-two, for they all seek their own interests, not those of Jesus Christ. But you know Timothy's proven worth, how as a son with a father, he has served with me in the gospel. Notice that word if you have the English Standard Version, proved. It means tested character. Tested character. Timothy didn't bend to pressure. He was a man of conviction. And an opinion is something you can argue about, but a conviction is something worth dying for. Let me say that again. An opinion is worth arguing, but a conviction is worth dying for. And God is looking for people of conviction. There's that old saying that if you don't stand for anything, you'll fall for anything. So what do people around you see in your life that you stand for? If I were to go to talk to some of your business associates or some of your friends outside of church, what would they know about you and your convictions? What you believe in, what you stand for, what's the bedrock that you're unmovable on certain issues? That's the kind of people who make an impact with their lives, people of conviction. When you study history, you find that uh, many people who impacted lives weren't necessarily the, the smartest people weren't necessarily the the best educated, they weren't necessarily the, the, the most wealthy people, they were people who had conviction and passion for something, and they lived it out in their lives. In Proverbs chapter 10 it says, whoever walks in integrity walks securely, but he who makes his ways crooked will be found out. Notice and highlight that word integrity. The bottom line is integrity. The world is interested in image, but God is interested in our character, in our integrity. Image doesn't last. It's going to be gone overnight. How many people in this room can remember who was on the cover of People magazine three weeks ago? We forget quickly, don't we? But character lasts a lifetime. It's, Im- it's not image that counts. It's integrity, and that's the bottom line. So we must be constantly, as men, checking Is my private life consistent with my public image? And if it's not, it's time to make some changes. We shouldn't live one way on Sunday and a different way on Monday. We need to be constantly evaluating, am I living consistently in my lifestyle both publicly and privately? See, inconsistent fathers produce insecure children and unreliable husbands produce unstable marriages. I was kind of blown away this week at a statistic I heard on a talk show. And they had, and this is a hard one to put together, but they had a conservative African-American civil rights activist. You don't hear about a lot of those people out in our world. And he made a very good point that before the 1964 Civil Rights Act was passed, that 85% of African-American homes had a father and a mother with children. In fact, he said that statistic was higher than the Caucasian rate. One of the greatest needs in our African-American community is fathers, godly fathers who will stay in the home and to help raise kids. Well, God needs and we want men who are consistent and dependable. And so our application here is what changes in your habits and schedule will help you to be more consistent and more dependable in your life. Think about that. Let that be a heart check this week as you go home and think about how you can be consistent and dependable for your spouse, for your kids, in the workplace, to be the same person on Sunday and Monday as well. Well, let's look at the third character quality of a godly man. God is looking for men who cooperate, who cooperate, who work with one another. It's interesting that as Paul wrote this, many think of him as a kind of a spiritual superstar He's probably the most gifted man, save for Jesus Christ himself, to walk the Christian life. And yet he even recognized that he needed to work at this thing of being a team player to come in relationship with one another. You see, my ideas are good and your ideas are good, but when we take those ideas and we put them together, that brings great ideas. That brings greater impact to the opportunity And Paul says here, if you want to make an impact with your life, you need to be a person of cooperation. And we're made for relationship. It's just so amazing that we can be back here in church now for our third time this month and to think about how we were apart those several months and how important it is that we have that uh, face-to-face relationship with one another. And we need that. And we need to cooperate with one another in this idea of teamwork, to not try to go it alone or be the superhero. As Scott Rideout, the president of Converge, says, we are better together, and we truly are. Notice in verse 25, there are three words describing our cooperation with one another. There are three ways we are to relate it to each other if we're going to make an impact with our lives. It says there in Philippians chapter 2, verses 23 through 25, I hope, therefore, to send him, Epaphrodites, just as soon as I see how it will go with me, And I trust in the Lord that surely I myself will come also. I have thought it necessary to send you Epaphrodites, my brother, fellow worker, and fellow soldier. There's the three words. First of all, the fellow member. Fellow member of the church family connecting and growing together in community with one another. As we have our right relationship with God, it helps us to have right relationships here horizontally with people here on earth. It says the church family is a family. The church is a family. Notice he uses that word, my brother. It's interesting that there's 133 times in the New Testament, this word brother is used more than any other word I think in all the New Testament. It's the term of endearment. And in some churches, and we have some people in our church that share this, they call each other brother and sister because we truly are related to one another spiritually. If you know Jesus Christ as your Savior, if you've received him and his finished work on the cross and found forgiveness and turned away from your sins and asked him to come into your heart, the Holy Spirit reigns in you. And then we are connected spiritually together because of that Holy Spirit, that common denominator that we have as brothers and sisters in Christ. So he uses that word brother, it's a term of endearment. It's a warm term. It says we're all in as a family. and We talk about this all the time from this pulpit. Where would we be if we didn't have a church family? I just think of so many people in our church and the situations and crisis that they've gone through and how our church family has prayed or supported financially or been there to help them even do physical things or whatever. And I think about those outside who do not have a church family, a place of support, how grateful we are for our church family. There's going to be an individual, hopefully in July, who will share how the prayers of this church have sustained him over recent times and what God has been doing in his life. Well, we see we're fellow members, but then he says we're fellow workers, serving and fellowshipping together. Fellow workers, each one of us are given different ministries in the church based on our passion and based on the package of spiritual gifts that God's given us. I love how our ministries are laid out that way. We don't have a lot of elected offices. We have people serving in places under ministry team leaders because they're passionate, because they're gifted, because they enjoy carrying out the ministry that God has placed in their heart and life. We all have the same mission, and that's to glorify God and exalt his name and to share the gospel, and to make disciples who also make disciples. It's so important that we understand our mission, but our methods and the ways we do that in our church are in many different ways. I was uh, recently uh, sh- told about a very good documentary. I encourage you to watch it. Dale Von and Austin were telling me about the American gospel on Netflix. It's about two hours and 15 minutes, two and a half hours, it goes into great detail of what the gospel is in the word of God versus what we've made it here in America. And it's a great opportunity for you to watch and just see that. But as I think about the gospel, we're to work together. We're to serve together. We're to love one another. So fellow member, fellow worker, and fellow soldier. Fellow soldier fighting the world, fighting the flesh and the devil together. Be reminded that we're all in the same army. We're fighting the same enemies. The flesh, the sinful nature is within us, but ultimately behind that is Satan himself. And so the Bible says that we've got to fight this enemy, that we're battling these things. And it's our duty for all of us together to support, to encourage, to defend, to put bandages on one another when the enemy gets to us. And one of the things we've got to stop doing as Christians is shooting our own wounded. We need to come alongside, be transparent, be authentic, and realize that we're going to we're gonna get knocked down sometimes, but the church family is there to build each other up. You're not gonna make it alone in your Christian life. The people that God uses are men and women of cooperation. They work together. You need real friends. That's why we talk over and over again about the importance of being involved in uh, these small groups that we have in our church called connect groups. Now, they could be children. That's the Sunday school want Awana time. Our junior high and high school, they have Sunday school, and they've got chaos student ministry. But for the adults, we have connect groups where we fellowship, where we share with one another, where we pray together as we study God's word. We also have men's group, women's ministry events. These are opportunities that we come together and are accountable and find encouragement with one another. Judges 20, verse 11 says, So all the men of Israel gathered against the city, unified as one man. There's incredible power in unity. Think about it. Snowflakes are very small. They're very fragile. But boy, you put enough of them together, they can stop traffic and close down an entire town, right? And so we may think that my opinion or my value as a Christian isn't great. But put us all together, we can make an impact. So man, we can be difference makers in the lives of those closest to us. Here's our application. How can we connect and grow in our relationships with the people God has placed in our lives? How can we connect and grow in our relationships with the people that God has placed in our lives? That's something we need to continually be thinking about. I think one of the most important character qualities a man must possess is that of commitment. Commitment. We see less and less of people who are committed to things in this world, and God's looking for men who will step up to the plate, who will step into the storm as we talked about at the beginning, and be willing to to brave whatever comes their way. That's the value that makes someone a great man is commitment, who puts the cause of Christ before comfort. God is looking for just a few good men I love what John Wesley said, the founder of the Methodist Church. He said, Give me 10 men that hate nothing but sin and love nothing but God, and we will change the world. It's amazing to think about what he said. In Philippians chapter 2, it says, In Epaphroditus, your messenger and minister in my need. This is a story where Paul was in prison in Rome. He was there on house arrest. He was permitted people to come and minister to him, but it wasn't like today's prison system. Somebody had to bring food to him or bring supplies or bring money to him. And so the church of Philippi, which he's writing to, uh, gathered an offering, and they were looking for a messenger, a courier, and Epaphrodites raised his hand and said, I will be that man to take this offering, to minister to Paul in prison. So first of all, he was a messenger to Paul. He was a messenger from the church of Philippi to bring the offering, to bring words of encouragement, to, know, to let him know that he was being prayed for. This was small, no small errand. He had to walk 800 miles. There weren't boats for that journey. There weren't planes or cars or anything like we have in our modern culture, but he walked on foot 800 miles. Now this week, Lord willing, on Thursday, my wife and I were going to fly, fly down to Roanoke, Virginia as we get ready to close on the house that we have down there. Well, I looked it up. So that would be the same as Epaphrodites walking from Philippi to Rome as Diane and I walking from here to Roanoke, Virginia, 800 miles by foot. Imagine how long that would take, how difficult it is in the middle of summer to do that. And Epaphrodite says, I'm going to put the cause of Christ before my personal comfort. I'm going to make that 800-mile journey to deliver to Paul the offering and the blessings from the church of Philippi. He's all in with making sure that he ministers to Paul. That leads us to our next point, minister to Paul. But while he was on the trip, he catches some kind of of near-death illness. And we read that in the passage in just a moment. Um, As he got sick, apparently from the Greek words we see here, it was the same illness that Lazarus and Dorcas had. And both of them died, and of course, they were brought back to life. Can you imagine what it must have been like for Epaphrodites being away from home and not being able to be home and cared for in his own house and his own bed? I don't know about you, but I've been on some trips where I got sick, and it wasn't fun. You'd rather be home with someone that you know taking care of you, someone who can get you the supplies you need, Uh, somewhere that feels comfortable and you recognize it. Well, as Epaphrodites was sick, he didn't turn around. He didn't go back home. He kept on. He persevered. And he went all the way to Rome and delivered his stuff. And then eventually over time, after he ministered to Paul for a while, he went back home. He was persistent in spite of his disease. He was committed to finishing the task. God is not impressed with people who start. He's impressed with those who finish and finish well for him. Epaphrodites was persistent and he put Christ first in his life. He put it before comfort. There have been times in my life that I've put comfort first before Christ and I really don't want to do that and I really hope that you don't either. Most of us say i live for the Lord when it's convenient I'll go to church as long as there's not a good game or a good sale going on somewhere where I don't have anything else to do. But God is looking for men and women who will pay the price. So here's the application. When we set aside our comfort and our perceived inadequacies to be the spiritual leader in the home, men, when we set aside our comfort and our inadequacies, we can use those weaknesses as Excuses. And God says, no, you can persevere through even the shortcomings in your life. And I will give you the strength to do that. Well, our last character quality of a godly man for us men to model in this passage is that God is looking for men of courage. Courage. Boy, do we need that more than ever in our world today. Courage is being able to stand strong in the face of fear. Like Andrew Jackson going toward the storm. Instead of running from it. You have to take risks for God's kingdom. You serve God and others with a heart of surrender for him. Look at verses 26 through 30 as we look at the end of this discussion with Epaphrodites. Paul says, For he has been longing for you all, Epaphrodites, and has been distressed because you heard that he was ill. Indeed he was ill near to death, but God had mercy on him, and not only in him, but on me also." lest I should have sorrow upon sorrow. I am the more eager to send him therefore that you may rejoice at seeing him again and that I may be less anxious. So receive Epaphrodites in the Lord with all joy and honor such men, for he nearly died for the work of Christ, risking his life to complete what was lacking in your service to me. Look at that word in verse 30, risking, risking. It says we are to honor men like that, men who risk their lives for the sake of Christ, for the cause of Christ, who put service before their personal comfort and security. That word risk is literally a gambling term. It's talking about rolling the dice, you know, staking everything on the roll of that dice. And he says that's what the kind of guy Epaphrodites was. He was God's great gambler. He gambled his life away for the cause of Christ. When I read about those verses and think about those for myself, I wanna ask myself, is my commitment to Christ deep enough to risk everything for him? I hope it is, I hope it is for you. I hope you're willing to take the risk to listen to whatever God says for you to do and then to obey it, even if sometimes it doesn't make common sense. To risk our time, to risk your reputation, to risk our finances? Are we willing to do whatever he asks of us to do? We need to be a church here that takes a stand for the gospel and, and God's word and let the chips fall where they may. Think about some of the things that have happened in just in the last week or two, how the Supreme Court um, <clears throat> made a ruling to say that uh, no discrimination against LGBTQ plus people, that you can't fire someone based on their gender identity or if that changes over time. And so the question is what will churches be forced to do in that situation with that ruling? Think of the censoring that's going on in our social media. And it's interesting what things they're saying is factual and what isn't, who's right and who's wrong. And it's interesting that who is the person who makes those decisions that affects our First Amendment rights and our civil liberties. Will lawlessness and anarchy be continued to grow through our country, especially as we think of that uh, Capitol Hill area in Seattle, where they've got a section of that area set aside? We're living in dangerous times where the values and the morals of our past culture are being challenged and trampled on, and some of that involves our constitution and our personal state of rights. 2 Timothy chapter 3, verse 12 says, Indeed, all who desire to live a godly life in Christ Jesus will be persecuted. I'm not a big fan of that will, but it's a reality. And I think those of our younger people that are here, what are the next 10 years, 15 years going to look like if you stay strong in your commitment and to be courageous as Christians? If persecution hasn't found you yet for your Christian beliefs, it's just around the corner, my friends. We need to be living sacrifices daily for God so he can use us no matter the cost. The problem you and I have is that we have to daily climb up on that altar and allow God to make us a living sacrifice. He says in Romans 12, I appeal to you. King James says, I beg you, Paul says, brothers, by the mercies of God, to present your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and acceptable to God, which is your spiritual worship. Notice that word on the screen there, present in that verse. And another translation it means to offer ourselves. What am I offering to God on a daily basis? Does he have permission to use my time however he desires? Does he have the authority to speak and use my talents and my spiritual gifts? Is he the Lord over my checkbook as I think about tithing to the local church and giving offerings above the tithe to missionaries and other organizations outside of the church that are Christian? What is God telling you to do? What is he doing in your life? What does it cost you to be a Christian? That's the mark of greatness. Carrie Bland shared this verse last week in our Connect Group, 2 Chronicles 16.9. For the eyes of the Lord run to and fro throughout the whole earth to give strong support to those whose heart is blameless toward him. If we're fully committed, God will give us the strength and the ability and the courage that we need to stand up in this time. Paul says, I've got nobody else like Timothy, he said. I read that and I say, why? Why aren't there more godly men around? Why are they so rare? Here's the application, are we risk takers for God? Are we risk takers for God? Are we willing to put it all on the line for God with our lives? The key thought here today as we wrap up this message is this, the greatest challenge a man will ever face in his lifetime is the challenge of being a man of God. Are you up for the challenge, men? That's the challenge. Are we willing to stand strong for God? For the sake of our families, for the sake of those in the workforce that may disrespect us or make fun of us, but secretly wish they had the values that you had in your life. Are you willing to stand up to the challenge and to be courageous? Well, that's the thing we have to understand. The Christian life is not for wimps. The question is, are we man enough to do it? And am I man enough personally to do that? Think about this. Two ordinary Joes, two ordinary men in the Bible, Timothy and Epaphroditus. 2,000 years later, we're still talking about these men. Millions of people have read about these guys in the Bible. Why? Because they were men of value. And when I read this, I think, what's it going to be like for me to have that long-term effect in my life? We need to ask ourselves the question, what's going to be the long-term effect in my life that will affect others for eternity? We're may not we not going to obviously get our names in the Bible, but are we going to be remembered through our descendants that we stood for God? Some questions to ponder this week. What causes you to struggle with being sold out for God? That would be a great question to just think about this week. What is it that keeps you from being sold out from God? What are the things that you say, God, this is off limits. I'll give you everything else. Second of all, is life about getting a job, having a family, retiring and dying? Or is it much more to you than that? I hope it is. I think it is for most of the men of our church. And what steps can I take this week to be more of a godly man than last week? That's a good challenge for us to to think about, these three things. As we close today, I want us to do something different. I want to, uh, in a moment, I'm going to ask our men to stand. and I'm going to pray for them. And we should all be praying for the men of our church, not just fathers, but also fathers-to-be, or even single men, if you've never had children. We need to pray. This is a time for the men in our church and our Christian world to stand up and have courage, to be committed, to be consistent, to have compassion, to cooperate, to work together in harmony because we all have a common enemy. And sometimes I think Satan divides us and we forget about the common enemy that we face. So, I'm going to ask our men to stand, if you would, and just bow your head. And I'm just going to pray this out loud, and I hope this is the prayer of your heart as well. Heavenly Father, I want to be a man of God. I know I've made mistakes, I've messed up a lot, and there's a lot of things not right in my life, but in my heart, I want to be a man of God. I want to be a man of compassion. I wanna put people before profits and relationships and results. I wanna balance those things in my life. I wanna be a man of consistency to put character before conformity. Help me be willing to stand alone and be consistent. I wanna be a man of cooperation to support my Christian brothers rather than compete with them. I wanna be a man of commitment. God, I wanna put the cause of Christ before comfort. I'm gonna get involved or stay involved in my church. I'm going to start serving and continue to serve now and not just when it's convenient. Heavenly Father, I want to be a man of courage to put serving you and my family above all things. And with our heads bowed, I just want to encourage if our wives are sitting next to us, just to reach over and just uh, grab your husband's hand and just squeeze it and say, I'm in this together with you. To help you to be a godly man. The nation is never stronger than the churches, and the churches are never stronger than the men of the church. Give us godly homes. We pray and ask these things now. In Jesus' name, amen. You may be seated. I just encourage you guys as we get ready to sing, as we close our time in worship, to just think about what it means to be a man of courage this week.